It's amazing to be together kicking off a new Easter series this morning. And the heart behind these next few weeks together is that God would forge in you and in me a more defiant faith. Now, why do we want to ask God to do that? Because life is going to deal us a hand that we didn't see coming sometimes. Um, anybody already had that hand dent to you? You don't, need to, you don't need to raise your hand. But, you know, anybody in this gathering here at 927 East Philadelphia this morning have a hand dealt to you that you did not expect? Maybe, maybe you saw it coming, but you didn't want it, and it was dealt to you anyway. And it was difficult, and it was hard to explain, and it was hard to understand. It was hard to comprehend. It was hard to see God. And it was hard to have joy, and it was hard to hang on to your faith in the midst of it. I hear so many stories of people, and the reason why they're not at church today is because a moment came to their life where the night was dark and long and they didn't see what God was doing. And their conclusion was, if that's God, I'm never going to darken the door of a church again. Anybody, if, if, it's not, if you haven't experienced that, you maybe probably know somebody who's had that story. But I think there are a lot of layers below where the circumstances are and the situations that deflate our faith. It's one thing to come on a day like today and sing, you know, God, you're so good. <laughs> and, you know, and declare, I'm blessed. I am called. I am healed. And I'm whole. And I'm saved in Jesus' name. I'm highly favored. I'm anointed. I'm filled with your power through the glory of your name. And then something smashes into the side of our lives and we go, God, where are you? I thought, I thought your promises were yes and amen, and, and our questions start coming. What are you doing? You're messing up my plan. My plan is not going so well right now. How can this be? I thought you were loving God. And we start asking those questions. And in that moment, have you noticed how often our faith kind of just goes, it's like the air comes out of it? And I believe God wants us to rise into those moments with a defiant faith. And so that's where we're going these next few weeks. I think it's possible for us to live above the moment. And I believe that uh, through that, God wants to use us to reach people on the fringes who honestly are not coming into the story of God unless, like a diamond, the pressure and the temperatures of life come and changes. How many of you ever heard the saying, you know, some people just got to learn the hard way, right? And it changes us into a more beautiful and more brilliant story. That doesn't have to be our story. I wrote down a goal for the next few weeks. I wrote it, I put it on your bulletins. If you're taking notes, you can read along with me there. Because I'm in it and you're in it when we set a goal. Here's the goal. The goal is that we would become a people who move from the rose in our sanctuary this morning into a relationship with the Almighty that emblazons us with a heaven-born confidence that anchors our lives in the mighty gale and radiates hope in the darkest of nights. That's defiant faith. That's defiant faith. That's the kind of a faith that endures under trial when Moses saw the bush burn and it continued to burn, but it wasn't consumed. And, and I, I believe that if, you, if you're in a trial, God doesn't want you to be destroyed in that trial. Can I get an amen? amen. He actually wants to make you stronger in the midst of it. That's defiant faith. So I've been noticing so many times in the text of scripture where you have an even though, it's followed by an I will. 
Even though, you know what I'm talking about? It's like that, you know, even though the bottom fell out, uh, guess what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm still going to praise God. I'm, gonna, I'm still going to praise him. I'm going to lift up a song to him. And you're like, whoa, how does that happen? You know, even though the circumstance was unjust, God is still faithful and I'm still going to have confidence in him. But how does that happen? Job, Job is a great example. You know, the guy lost it all. And his friends are saying to him, here's a way out for you, Job. Just curse God and die. That's, that's some, some friendly advice, right? Just get over with it. Just send up a flare to heaven that says, if that's who you are, I'm out. If that's the way you work, I'm done. If that's the way you're going to treat me, then here's the way I'm going to treat you. Talk to the hand, right? Because you'll never see me and you'll never hear from me again. Just curse him, get over with it, and die. So let's stand and let's read our opening verse today. It's just really short. This is Job's response. And in a nutshell, this is what he says. Job 13, verse 15, he says, even though you slay me, I will trust in you. Amen. Now, I don't know if his theology is all right there, you know, with, 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 with uh, God slaying him. <laughs> we could go into a deep conversation there. I'm not going to go into a deep theological conversation on that this morning. But the, that second part, I will still trust you, even though. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we give you our lives this morning. We lay him down at your feet, even though whatever we came in here uh, with this morning, whatever we carried with us, God, even if we're not in a trial, God, we, we stand together and I, we ask that you'd give us a defiant faith, a faith that stands in the storm. In your mighty name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So even though I'm in the fire, I will still believe in you. Even though I'm under pressure, I'm still going to trust in you. And I look at that even though, slash I will, and I think, how does Job have a defiant faith like that? How does he have faith that doesn't deflate in that moment, but actually inflates? And he holds his life, and he anchors his life, if you will, in the mighty gale and radiates hope in the darkest of nights, even though. So I don't know who's in a storm in this place today, but I know people are. I don't have to be a prophet to know that. I don't know who's facing up against the collapse of a family, some kind of internal pressure, a phone call that you received, that everything on the landscape of your life is different than it was all of a sudden, and you didn't see it coming. And, and you did not think that the hand that was going to be dealt to you was going to be dealt to you. But I want you to know that God knew that you were coming today and just maybe that this message is for you. God knew that somebody was going to be sitting in this place today in the middle of a fire and he wanted to breathe into you hope. And all of us in this place today at some point we're going to be in a trial. And he wanted us to start preparing for the trial that we are not in yet. So when the moment comes, our faith will rise and not fail. And God's glory will be seen in our lives and to the people all around of us through that. So today... We're talking about even though the night is long. Anybody in a long night in here today? Again, you don't need to raise your hands. But even though the night is long, I, I thought it might be for a weekend or maybe this was going to be a two-week deal or, you know, this was going to be resolved by the end of March. But it's, it's a longer night than you had anticipated. Even though the night is long, I will still worship. 
So the title of the, the message is Midnight in Philippi. Um, if you've got your Bibles today, we're going to be digging into the book of Acts, chapter 16. And if you're new to the church or new to the Bible, um, new to the faith, Acts is the story of the message of Jesus being spread to the known world. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He's been raised from the dead by the power of God. He appeared to hundreds of people, and then he ascended back into heaven. The Spirit of God had come to empower his followers to take the message of his grace and the message of truth and the message of life to the whole known world. And one of those ambassadors was the Apostle Paul. And Paul now, as we pick up on this story, is on his second trip out around the known world of Asia Minor and Europe. And he's now going to the, uh, to the city, as God's, city to city as God's leading him, proclaiming uh, Jesus in this story. So in Acts chapter 16, he ends up in the town of Philippi. Um, it's modern-day Greece. It's an important city in the time of Jesus. And Paul comes to Philippi with his companions. Silas is with him. Timothy's with him. Luke, who's narrating and give us the story, he's with him. And they're seeing God do amazing things. In fact, when they, when they came to Philippi, they had seen a group of women who were seeking after God. They weren't Jesus followers yet, but they were looking. They were searching for spiritual truth. Paul saw where they were gathering, and he went and met them. He shared the story of Jesus with them, and a woman named Lydia had her eyes open that day and came to faith. So come on, I, I, I love this part of the story. I'm just telling you today that we've, we've got to get back into what would it be like to just walk into environments in our community, in our neighborhoods where people had no idea what they were searching for, tell them who they're searching for, and then see the Holy Spirit open up their eyes. Isn't that good? And then put their faith in Jesus. She was the first um, convert in Philippi. She was a, a wealthy businesswoman in that city, and he, uh, she had this huge influence, and she had the gift of hospitality. And so immediately she invites Paul and his traveling team to come and stay at her house. And then we see not long after that that her home is uh, filled with new believers in Jesus. So it's likely, some scholars say, that this is the very first Christian church um, that started. It was in Lydia's house in Philippi. So things are, are going good, and then, and then we see an interesting turn of events beginning in verse 16, which is where we're going to pick up uh, reading today. The story is going to unfold in a few different acts. So in acts, we've got a story with a few acts, and I think you're going to identify with the acts in this story. Act number one, we see in verse 16. One day, as we were going to the house of prayer, we encountered a young slave girl who had an evil spirit of divination, the spirit of Python. She had earned great profits for her owners by being a fortune teller. She kept following us, shouting, These men are the servants of the great high God, and they're telling us how to be saved. Now, all that sounds pretty good, a little bit weird, but pretty good, <laughs> at the same time. So can, can we just pause for a minute, and, and can I just say this? Be careful who's telling your fortune telling you your future because there are evil spirits who apparently according to the scripture have the capacity in the spirit realm to know some things about your life so just because somebody tells you something about your future don't assume that it's the right spirit it might be another spirit telling you that so i'd lock onto god's word um, and i would yield my life to the authority of jesus and the holy spirit so this spirit is not of god but we're going to see that in a moment the spirit is telling the truth in this instance, these men are servants of the Most High God, 
and they were there to proclaim the way to be saved. But as Paul and his team are moving around the city, they're getting this unwelcome um, feeling and from this unwanted announcement from this girl. And so it says a little bit later that in verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Anybody uh, got this good, uh, you know, something going on for you again for too many days? It's that long night. <laughs> One day was fine. Two days are like, this is getting a little bit annoying. Third day, you're just like, this has got to stop right now, right? And so they are somewhere into that process. And so for many days, she's been at this. And it says, Paul became greatly annoyed, saying to the spirit indwelling her, I command you in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to come out of her now. And at that very moment, the spirit came out. Now, that was a good start to a day right there. I don't know about you. Maybe you've heard this text before. But there's a, there's a lot of crazy in this act number one, which we're going to call good intentions, if you're taking notes. I, I see a situation, and I want to call out on God, and I want to try to help slave girl, and, and so I'm going to try in the name of Jesus to do something good. Now, if you're, if you're not looking at this through the right lens, and it doesn't really make sense to you, let me try to broaden the scene a little bit. I've never been in the shoes of Paul, um, and I've never lived what he's lived, but I do understand this just to, to, to a tiny degree. Not too long ago, I was sitting at a park branch down in Bayfield, Colorado, uh, where, we, where, where we just moved from this last year. My kids were playing at the playground, um, and, and you might be surprised, but uh, probably not. There's a, there's a lot of different viewpoints that people have when they think of pastors and they think of churches. And so for me to lead off every conversation with, hi, I'm a pastor, um, doesn't always go well for me. You know, which is, you know, when you talk to another man, there's a lot of times that this is what it comes to really fast. Sometimes it, it can go a little bit crazy. But on, on this day, I'm sitting there and another guy and another parent, he comes walking by and he sits down next to me and he says, hi, how are you? And, and we exchange names. I'm doing great. How are you? Um, he tells me his name. I tell him my name. And then, as it often goes, and what do you do, he says. And so, this is, this, is, this is just, I guess this is just how men rank themselves. I don't know why that's always a part of the conversation. They meet another person, they say, so what do you do? And, you know, oh, you're a plumber. Well, great, because, uh, you know, I'm better than you because I own a plumbing business. You know, I don't know what we do, that thing that kind of goes on in our heads, or I, I have a whole franchise of businesses, or my name is actually Plumber, Gary Plumber, you know, and so I don't know what that's about. But men tend to size people up based on what they do, I guess. And that's problematic for me because when I meet someone, oftentimes I don't know what's in their head, you know, when they say the word, word pastor, and sometimes it can just shut down conversations. And so if you don't want to talk to people on a long flight that you're going on and they sit down and say, hi, how are you? I'd say, great, I'm Sean. And they say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a servant of the most high God. You know, I'm here to proclaim the way to be saved. And then they'll say, excuse me just a minute. I'll get back to you in three hours when the flight lands. <laughs> you know, but I didn't say that to this guy on the park bench. And so we started talking. He said, what do you do? And I and honestly, I'm being honest, I, I, I just dodged the question. To be really honest with you, it's not that I'm ashamed of Jesus, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I'm not ashamed of what I do, I just said, I do a whole lot of things right now. So I was telling the truth. <laughs> and then I very quickly asked him, what do you do? And uh, so we began talking, and it starts out that he had, he, he starts telling me, it turns out that he had recently gone through some significant loss. And immediately we had this common ground. It didn't matter what he did or what I did or where he lived 
or where I lived or who he was or who I was. We both had been down that road. And I said, you know, I know what it's like. I just lost my mom to ALS um, just recently. And eventually I was able to say to him, truthfully, the thing that got me through is my faith in God. And, and I was like, yeah, or he, he, his response was, well, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm not really a church person. And I'm not really into all that. And, you know, we just kept the talk and we kept the conversation going. And we were really building up some rapport. And I, and I felt like maybe this could go somewhere significant spiritually. It felt like, you know, this could be a decision moment here. And no kidding, <laughs> no kidding, here's what happened next. A youth group parent comes to the park with some of his younger kids, and I was a youth pastor at the time. He walks up to us while we're sitting on the bench, and he says, hey, Pastor Sean, it's so good to see you. I just wanted to tell you, brother, your word, you're a preacher of the word. You're a, you're a, you, you, you just, you just preach and preach and preach. And, and it was, it's like you rightly divide the word of truth and you're breaking chains off of my daughter's life. And I'm telling you, nobody preaches the Bible like you, Pastor Sean. And, you know, and I just want to tell you that God's loving and he's got his favor is on your life. And I'm like, oh, man, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, why? Your timing is perfect. Thank you. Um, and he was well-meaning, and all that was amazing and humbling stuff, you know. But, but, you know, what do you say? And I was just like, love you, brother. And he's like, love you, too. <laughs> and, and when he went away, guess what? So did the guy that was sitting next to me. He got up, and he went to the restroom, and then he's, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Our conversation just kind of ended right there. We had a little bit of small talk as we were walking around the park, but it was pretty much over. You know, I wanted to say, let's get back to our conversation. So in this story, I think Paul got that. Do you see that now? Paul's trying to build a relationship. He's, he's trying to impact a city. He's neighboring. He's, he's trying to get to know the people in the neighborhood. He's trying to navigate conversations. He's trying to follow Holy Spirit's lead to be in season and out. He's trying to be all things to all peoples that, so that he can see some, some people saved. And yet this girl keeps announcing wherever they go, every time he walks into a shop, every time he walks into you know, the, the park, these are servants of the Most High God. And, and they are here to tell you the way to be saved. And it's just like that person on the plane. They just shut off. <laughs> and so Paul's like, yes, we're servants of God. But hey, you know, I'm Paul. This is Silas. This is Timothy. You know, and, and this is Luke. And we just want to get to know you. And Paul's like, you know, I know that that's not God's spirit. Because Holy Spirit led me here. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't interrupt himself. Wouldn't distract from, you know, what he's trying to do. And so a few days into it. He finally goes, in the name of Jesus, come out. And so instantly, her complexion changes, uh, and the grip of hell is lifted from her life. Light comes in her eyes, and peace comes over this girl. So act one, good intentions. Have you ever done something just because you had good intentions? You tried to help somebody because you had good intentions. You went the extra mile because you had good intentions. You, you intervene out of a good heart. You spoke into it because you thought God had encouraged you to be a part of the solution in somebody's life. But then act two comes right on the heels of that. And it often works in our lives this way. Good intentions, act two, good intentions were immediately followed by ungrateful opposition. Look at what happens immediately in verse 19. 
When her owners realized that their potential of making profit had vanished, they forcefully seized Paul and Silas and dragged them off to the city square to face the authorities. When they appeared before the Roman soldiers and magistrates, the slave owners leveled accusations against them, saying, these Jews are troublemakers. They're throwing our city into confusion. They're, they're pushing their Jewish religion down our throats. It's wrong and unlawful them, for them to promote these, these Jewish ways, for we are Romans living in a Roman colony. So Philippi is a Roman colony. So now they're, they're, they're going to play the us versus them card. The insiders versus the outsiders card. Hey, these guys aren't, aren't a part of us. They're not a part of Rome. They're not a part of the colony. They're, they're Jewish people who've come into our world, and here's what they're doing. They're throwing our city into this uproar by um, advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. So now, is that really what they were doing? Uh, you know, or, or were they just, you know, delivered, they just delivered a girl, an evil spirit from a girl is what they just did, right? And now she's walking around with a whole new thing going on in her life, but yet it's interpreted very quickly as a plot against the city because we don't care about the slave girl. We just care about the bottom line. They wouldn't care less about if she gets free or not. They just want to keep the cash flow. <laughs> that's, that's their bottom line. And so they drag them into the marketplace because that's where the best symphony, sympathy is going to come from. And uh, from the other marketplace owners who are also making money, and they'll see what's happened to us. The profits are down. If you don't jump on board with us, it's going to happen to you too. And all of a sudden now, there's this collective insurrection against these guys, and good intentions go immediately to ungrateful opposition. And, and they're dragged before the authorities. You know, anybody see this happen? The best of times, the worst of times. <laughs> this is kind of what's happening in this story. Yes, we're expecting a baby in our family, and the very next thing that happens, the phone rings, and then all of a sudden, you know, we've, we've got a bad diagnosis in our story. Or, you know, we're on our way to a wedding, and then the unexpected, and now we're, you know, we're going to have to detour to a funeral. Or, you know, we just got promoted, and we got the position I've been hoping and working towards, and then we found out that our kid's marriage was falling apart. It's the best of times, it's the worst of times, and it's the best and the worst. And for these guys, it was good intentions in this high moment of God working and the power of God setting a girl free. And then the very next thing, they're all in the middle of a mob before the authorities and things are gonna change in a heartbeat. So act three, here's where we're going. Act three, we see all that go down and then act three, there's a swift turnaround of fortunes. You ever had that day? You know, in the morning it was like it couldn't be better and then by the time you went to bed that night, it could not be worse. <laughs> That's what happened to Paul and their team. And it says, verse 22, a great crowd gathered and all the people joined in to come against them. The Roman officials ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped of their garments and beaten with rods on their bare backs. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen that are terrible, but being beaten with rods is pretty far up on the list. And they didn't get uh, just whacked a time or two. The text says that they were severely flogged. So now there's, there's a lot going on here. It says, after they were severely beaten, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. So the jailer placed them in the innermost part of the cell of the prison, the innermost cell of the prison, and had their feet bound and chained. So to recap, in the name of Jesus, come out. That's the start of the day. Then turn the corner. The crowd appears drags them before the authorities, and before you know it, okay, 
Let's punish them. Let's strip them down. Let's beat them with rods. Let's lock them in the jail and keep them secure. I'd heard rumors about these guys, so we're going to put them in the, the most inner cell and, and make sure that their feet are locked in the stocks, and then we'll deal with them tomorrow. That's our story. So we all get Act 1. We've all tried with good intentions. We, most of us get Act 2. That's, that's our good intentions being met with ungrateful opposition. And we all get Act 3, a quick turnabout. Uh, you know, I'm, but I'm telling you, here's what we've got to get our heart around today. And this is what, what all of this is pointing towards. We've got to get our hearts around Act 4 in this story. Because in Act 4, things go crazy, but in the best way. So look at what it says in verse 25. In the NIV translation, it starts with, about midnight. Can you say that with me? About midnight. I'm not trying to read into it, but I don't think there's any coincidence here that it's not 2.30 in the afternoon or about a quarter you know, to 11 in the morning. It says it's about midnight, and I think we all know what about midnight feels like on a day like today or that day. Um, and it looks like in our lives because um, you know, we've been there before. But here's, here's, a, here's where defiant faith comes on display in this story. Paul and Silas, Acts 1, 2, and 3. If I were them, if I were in their situation, I would be praying. You know, God, what are you doing to get us out of here? <laughs> what are you doing to change this story around? This is crazy. Do something. Make it all work out. And, and they might have been doing that too. But you know what else they were doing? What else were they doing? They were singing songs of praise. Even though it was midnight, in the middle of a jail, still they said, I will praise the Lord. Even though they beat us up with rods, we are still going to sing our song, even though we've been falsely accused. Paul could have said, I'm a Roman citizen, and you're going to be shaking your boots tomorrow when you figure that out. At about midnight... They were praying and they were singing, even though the night was long. And they said, I will praise him. And then these next few words absolutely give me chills. This is great. It says, Paul and Silas, they were, they were undaunted. They prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God. And get this, while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. I want you to know today that in almost every midnight, you have a captive audience listening to you. In midnight, all the prisoners were listening to these guys praying and singing hymns to God. And, and then things changed. You know, I believe things had changed dramatically even before that, but then things changed even more. It says, verse 26, suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison and all at once every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. In other words, these two men's active prayer and worship didn't just do something to set their hearts on fire for God, didn't just inflate their faith to be defined in the darkest of night and not just break uh, the chains broke off of their lives and the doors swung open in their lives, but hello, everybody, everybody. The prison doors swung open and everybody's chains fell off. You catch that? In other words, your praise and my praise and the midnight hour absolutely has a power not just to change our heart, but to break chains and deliver people into freedom, all the people who are around us. And our worship changes us and it changes those that are around us. And so all of the chains, everybody's chains came loose. 
So it says, startled, the jailer awoke and saw every cell door standing open. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself when Paul shouted in the darkness, stop, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. We're all accounted for. And then look how it unfolds. It says, the jailer called for a light, and when he saw that they were still in their cells, he rushed in and fell trembling at their feet. Then he led Paul and Silas outside and asked, what must I do to be saved? In other words, a revival is breaking out in the prison. <laughs> Prayer and worship sparked a revival in the midnight hour. They were in stocks, in a jail, beaten up and swollen up, and these two boys start a revival. God moved, things are happening, doors open, chains fell off. It was an atmosphere of revival so powerful that when the jailer came in, he didn't say, why are you still here? He didn't say, you know, this is crazy, why didn't you just run out? When the doors open, he says, what must I do to be saved? In other words, their testimony of radiant hope in the dark night was enough to convict this man that God was alive and that the God of heaven was on the scene. <laughs> And he said, convicted of God, what must I do to be saved? What a powerful, powerful turnaround of events. And so Paul answered him with it. What a clear answer. And he says, he replies, believe. What do you got to do? Believe. And this is for all of us today, Destiny Foursquare. For anybody hearing the message a couple days from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, here's the answer. If you've wondered about the question, here's the answer. Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and all your family. Then they prophesied the word of the Lord over him and all his family. <laughs> believe in Jesus, put your confidence in him, put your trust in what he's done, put your eternal hope in the finished work of Jesus and you will be saved. And he says, not only you, but your whole household. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They unfolded the gospel message and they shared with all the others in their house. So it says, even though the hour was late, he washed their wounds. Then he and all of his family were baptized. And he took Paul and Silas into his home and set them at his table and he fed them. The jailer and all his family were filled with joy in their newfound faith in God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's thinking, I had no idea that I could come to know the living God like I had. There's no joy that's ever been in my life like this. Can you pass the bread? <laughs> you know, they're just hanging out at the house. They're eating with the jailer. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, they're, they're having a hang at the jailer's house because of the power of Almighty God. Midnight in Philippi. Even though the night is long, I will praise him. So how did they have a defiant faith in the darkest hour? How did they not deflate? And how did their faith inflate in that moment? And how does ours do that? I've got a few things just for you to write down real quick. Number one, they were already in the story of God. What does that mean? So many times when I, when I talk to people and the bottom falls out, they're not in the story of God. They're just in their story. How many of you have ever done that before? You know, they're just doing their thing. They're living their life. They're cruising along. Yeah, they've got Jesus over here somewhere. It's kind of compartmentalized on Sunday mornings, but it's not the focus of their lives. He's not the center. And so it's not their purpose. And so they don't feel any, any calling to love their neighbors. They haven't leaned into God's purpose and their plan, God's plan for their life on the planet Earth. And so then all of a sudden, everything goes haywire. And they're like, wait a minute, where are you, God, in all of this? 
And I believe the reason Paul and Silas didn't do that in the midnight hour is because they knew that they were called by Almighty God and they knew they had their plan and their purpose. They, they carried that into this story, the salvation message of Jesus that they were carrying to the entire world. And so they were living life on purpose and they knew it was going to cost something. But they knew it was worth it, whatever the cost. And so when they arrived there, they're probably thinking, you know what, you know, when we said that we're going to go out on this missionary journey, we said that after the first trip, this is their second trip, he said that after the first trip, we're going to do that again. And, you know, we had some highs and we had some lows on that first journey as well. But we said, hey, let's do that again because the gospel needs to be heard and my love for Jesus isn't going to stop me. And so they signed on. They were committed to the plan and they leaned into that purpose. They were in the story. They were in the story of God. And off they went. And I believe that, that people who don't fold when the fire comes are people who are in the will and the purpose of God. And so when the fire comes, that's, that's the question today. If, if, if this is training us for a trial that's not yet to come, if you're not in the middle of something right now, today is the day for us to get into the will of God. Today and every day. To get into the will of God, you don't want to try to get into the will of God when the fire comes. Because your chances are going to be lower when the fire comes of then trying to find your way into the will of God. It's more likely that you're going to walk away from God and not find it a defiant faith if you're not already in it. The second thing I think that helped them to have defiant faith is that they had tasted of the grace of God. They have tasted of the grace of God. And they just didn't let that blow by too fast either. They had tasted of the grace of God. The cross, anybody agree with me? The cross isn't a one-time thing that gets us into heaven. <laughs> the cross isn't a, pray that, uh, a prayer that we pray when we're 13 years old at summer camp and then we know that we're not going to hell. That's not what grace is. That's not the gospel and that's not salvation. The, the gospel is, I don't have a chance. I was completely out of the picture. I... But God invited me, and now I'm a son and a daughter, and I sit at his table. That's a picture of grace. The cross isn't a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. It's the greatest reminder that God takes the worst and he turns us into the best. That God loves us. That he's for us. That he's given everything to us. The very best. And when darkness comes, you have to have something to hold on to. And there's nothing better than to hold on to than the cross of Christ. Grace. So Paul had this on a different level. Because remember, Paul, before he started preaching the gospel, he put people in prisons. And he had the authority from the Jewish leaders. That a citizen of Rome. He could move anywhere freely and attack. And he would beat people with rods and persecute and kill Christians. So he's, he's trying to snuff out the gospel earlier on in his life. And I wonder, I can't, I can't get into Paul's mind, but if, if when he was in those stocks and if he was in that cell, I just wonder if he's thinking, thanks be to God for your grace. You're so awesome because he used to be the guy that put people in there. You know, so I, you know, he's thinking to himself, this is what I'd be thinking. Oh, I've beaten a bunch of people up. I've, been, I've beaten a bunch of people with rods and thrown them in, in this very prison. We stoned Stephen to death, and I hold, held his coat while they did it. Thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you, God, that you restored me. Thank you, God, that you found me. Thank you that you redeemed me. Thank you, God, that you're, for your amazing grace, for your amazing love. Such an amazing blessing and favor that you poured out on me. Amazing grace for even someone like me. 
So he knows grace, that kind of grace that holds us when the world shakes. He knew it. The third thing, I think the third reason why they had defiant faith was because they actually knew God. Paul had a revelation of who Jesus Christ was. It wasn't just information that he'd sort of checked off the box. You know, I've been around church long enough to know some facts about God. He had a revelation of Jesus that changed him. So now he's in this jail cell and he's in there with his eyes full of a great and a glorious God who, who when he saw him, it, it just stopped him in his tracks. It stunned him in his heart. It blinded him from the radiance of the person of who Jesus is. And he knew God was just not some five foot, you know, eight inch God who was a little bit further, you know, a little bit higher up the chain than him. He knew God was a glorious and mighty and, and filled with power. And, and I would encourage you today that if there's a trial that's coming, you know, what you're going to need the most is a real, vibrant relationship and understanding, a deep knowledge of Almighty God. Start working on that. Not when the trial comes, start today. You know, saying, God, I really need to have a revelation of who you are, not just a shallow understanding. You know, not I'm occasionally at church, not I, I have this very limited scriptural intelligence, not I have a very me-centered theology, you know, where everything, you know, that God's doing, he's, all, he's always doing it for me. No, that's, that's, that's not going to work for you when there's a fire. Your mama's faith is not going to work when you're in a fire. Jesus' faith with a revelation of how great he is is the only thing that's going to help you when you're in a fire. The fourth thing, the fourth reason I believe they had defiant faith, and we'll close and wrap around this, is that they had witnessed the power of Almighty God. Doug, you can come on up. Think about if you're in a midnight moment and you want to have some memories of God, you, you want to have some memories of God doing the extraordinary and the supernatural in your life. And, and they, didn't, they didn't have to think back very far for them. They didn't have to go, oh, you know, remember, um, when was it back? Oh, maybe three years ago when, when God did that thing. Oh, maybe it was five years ago when God, you know, answered that prayer for us. They didn't have to do that because they were like, hey, man, you know, things have been crazy. I mean, they beat us up over there, but, you know, we, we haven't even had a chance to talk about Lydia. You, you remember, how cool was that? And Silas is like, I know unbelievable you should have seen it Paul when you were teaching the Spirit of God you could just see it fall on her and I saw her face change it was like this light appeared and every question that she had is all of a sudden gone and her face changed did you see her and when Lydia said you know oh you, you gotta be kidding me this is this is what I've been searching for this is what I've been looking for hello I get what you're saying now you know, I understand what you're talking about. God is helping me connect all the dots today. This is it. It's Jesus. He's who I've been looking for. And then there was that lady behind her. She was like, I do too. Did you see her? And all of a sudden things changed and they were sitting there going, man, I'm telling you, this is amazing. I knew when we walked by there that we should stop. I, I heard Holy Spirit's voice tell us that that was the place and these are the people. And when we stopped and we got started, it was kind of rough there with that first opening illustration. I wouldn't do that one again, but you know, that other one, that one was really good. And they're starting to talk about it and they, they weren't sure and, and, and we weren't sure where it was going, but then bam, Lydia's just like, it opened up the door. And then, and then Holy Spirit, and we're, we're in the house. Did you see that Thaddeus guy? Unbelievable. He comes up to me and says, man, listen. 
yeah, I, I tell you one thing, if there's one guy in Philippi that, you know, wasn't going to put his faith in Jesus, it was me. I had no desire to have anything to do with that. But you know what? Lydia is my business partner. She's really high up in town. I've been trading with her in the dyeing industry for years. She's the most respected businesswoman in this town. And, you know, she's amazing. And when she said she found Jesus, I said, okay, well, maybe I should find Jesus too. And then I did. And then opened up my mind. And they were telling these stories about all that God did. Thaddeus, oh, something's going on in my heart. And then I gave my life to Jesus. And Paul's like, you know, I, I didn't know that. That's amazing. I didn't know about Thaddeus. Which guy was that? Wow, incredible. And we didn't even talk about the slave girl. What was going on there? Did you see her face when we called out the name of Jesus and that demon just shrank and hightailed it out of there? Whoa. And then they're just like, I don't know. I don't know, but you want to sing? <laughs> you want to sing? I, I think I'd just like to sing. Come on, let's just sing. And, and why? Because they had eyes of faith. They had eyes of faith. And they could see that a sovereign God was above it all. Stocks, yes. Chains, yes. Darkness, yes. Welts, absolutely. Eyes swollen shut, yes. God eternal, alpha and omega, spiritual war raging on around us. Heaven and hell is at stake. Life and death is on the line. Darkness and light colliding, and we are all a part of the light. The light shines brighter than the darkness. We are part of a heavenly kingdom. So yes, this is the colony of Rome, but we're citizens of heaven. Do you hear that song to start beginning to rise up? Can you give us some keys in the house, Jeff? We're connected to the great king. Yes, they've, they've got a Caesar who thinks he has all authority, but we are the sons of the king and of the universe who makes all the creeds and all the decisions for all time. So they had eyes of faith that allowed them to see a sovereign God above it all. And they said, let's worship him. And they started singing. God, you're so good. Come on, sing it with me. You just start singing there, there. God, you're so good. So good, so good. Let's take it to the bridge, Silas. I love this. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am whole. I am saved. You hear them? They're saying, thank you, Jesus. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power. My feet are in stocks, but I can still lift my hands. Come on, let's, let's sing, God, you're so good. prisoners it's like what are you saying what are you saying do you see that your feet are in stocks we're in jail it's midnight we're in chains hello they're saying that and then the ground started shaking and God started moving not to free them do you understand that they were they were already free 
They were already free. They were already set free by a greater power. They didn't even need the doors to open. They didn't need the chains to fall off. They were already free. But God just applauded their praise as they're singing, applauded their song. And he said, oh, I like the praise in the midnight hour. Do you mind if I just arrive in it? <laughs> because they may, they may have left you alone, but listen to this. God inhabits the praises of his people. How many times have we said that our praise is a weapon? God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we build him a throne with our worship, he shows up in a jail. He shows up in a chemo ward. He shows up in a cemetery, in a divorce court. He shows up in the darkness and depression. And when he arrives on the scene, chains break, doors open. And when he arrives on the scene, things change. So listen to this. Listen to this. You can stand. Let's, let's stand and get ready to close here. A jailer got saved in the midnight hour. And I believe it's possible that Jesus is going to set your heart free from whatever has got a hold on you as you choose to worship him. So even though, this is what Habakkuk says, watch this. Even though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the field produces no fruit, even though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Why? The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to tread on the high places. Whew. Thank you, God. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So here's the thing. There's a jailer in your story right now waiting for a song in the darkest hour. And you've got a captive audience today. So let's be defiant in the midnight hour. Let's be defiant today in the longest night. And let's say, God, I still believe. I, I, I praise you. Yet... I will praise you because I believe that you're good and I believe that you're going to do the best in my life and through my life. Amen? All right. Father God, we just give you our best. We give you our all. Even though there's a storm raging around me, even though darkness falls, even though and you can put your trial, your tribulation, your struggle, your chains, whatever they are, you say, yet I will praise you. We lift up our song this morning with a defiant faith. Let's just sing it together one more time. God, you're so good. In God, you're so good. God, you're so
God, may we walk out of this place, Lord, and let the song continue inside of us wherever we go. We are carriers of your name. We are carriers of your glory. We are carriers, carriers of your song. Thank you, God, for the jailer that's getting set free, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the whole household that's going to be set free, Lord, because of the testimony of your faithfulness in the lives of your sons and your daughters. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning and you have never said yes to a faith in Jesus, we want to give you that invitation with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him where he's faithful doesn't mean that trials and tribulations won't come, but he is faithful in the midst of them. And, and in the midst of them, he will um, come in and be faithful through and through to bust open prison doors, to break chains, to bring healing, to be your provider. So if that's you this morning, or even if it's just a resurrender, I've gone away for a little bit while, but I want to resurrender my life to you this morning. With nobody looking around, would you just raise your hands up high just so I can see them? Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together this morning. Father God, all that I am, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. All that's within me. Thank you for the cross, for paying the, the, excuse me, for paying the price of death for my salvation. For my freedom, I give my life to you. It's all yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's celebrate this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Father God, I just pray that as we go this morning, uh, this, is, this is what I pray every week, Lord, that you just, as we leave this place, uh, we're going as sent ones. You're sending us. We're carriers. So let the song go with us as we walk out the doors this morning. In your name, amen.